Hi, this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. This is This Week on Sci-Fi Talk, taking a look back at the episodes that aired this previous week. Monday was Memorial Day in the States, and here is part of the episodes aired, the superhero composer roundtables. I start off with Ludwig Göransson, scoring Black Panther and the upcoming Death Wish, and Brian Tyler, who scored Avengers Age of Ultron and the recent Power Rangers. I mean, you're all scoring very different. Uh, I mean, you're handling Black Panther. And is, when you're doing something like that, do you, is incorporating some of the ethnic sounds important to the sound of the movie to kind of give the flavor of the film? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> if you, the story of, of, of uh, Wakanda, it's it's, it's basically a, a, a fictional country in the middle of Africa, Central Africa, that was, and it sits on a mineral that's like the the, the, the most highest technological mineral in the world. So, so these civilization are the highest technical civilization in the world. So they during the colonization they were able to protect themselves and they were never discovered by any other. So. So what would happen within the country in Africa if they were, if they were never colonized, basically? Um, and so the options of music and in, in, in this, the doors are so open. You can do, I mean, you can do anything, but I have to obviously start with Africa, and there's so many different types of, there's over 1,000 languages in Africa, and all of them have their own instruments and their own music, so. There is more sci-fi talk, so stay tuned. Trek Tuesday featured Dr. Trek, Larry Nemesek. No, <laughs> um, no, the kind of rap is, is like one of those ha-ha clever things, but I don't take credit for the title because it was actually born of this real-life event, which was actually the first big mega-convention, actually mega-show, you know, rock star kind of event that anyone tried to dream up for the Star Trek folks back wow. in kind of the golden days. I mean, the first Star Trek convention... Um, and unless somebody like in soap operas or something did something like this, you know, that we'd had litcons since literary sci-fi conventions for books and authors, uh, which were pretty radical in their day, I guess, or uh, unusual, since the late 30s and the Worldcons and the Hugo Awards and all that. Yeah. But it wasn't until the 60s and Star Trek and then the cancellation and the fandom. Mm -hmm. Everything we think of as media fandom now came, you know, Star Trek kind of wrote the book about it, even yeah. Star Wars and, and all that. And... The first Trek conventions were the famous ones in New York in 73 and then onward. And then they kind of popped up around the country. But you had this idea it had to be an urban center and all that with these guys. Uh, Houston was not a small, you know, small market or anything. Some guys who had been doing conventions in Houston in 1981-82 decided they dreamed big with this huge event they called um, the Ultimate Fantasy, actually was the name of it. I they remember that. cast all together at the same time and not just... You know, at a hotel, answering questions and signing autographs. They had, they dreamed of having a big talk show kind of format. They actually built a revolving stage shaped like a, a you know, insignia, an enterprise patch insignia. To where they were going to have an orchestra where Nichelle could sing live, and they had Walter write a one-act play. They'd perform, and they wanted to have everybody there together. And it was timed to be a couple of weeks after the Rapacon opened. Right. And they wound up having Hart Bennett and Kirstie Alley, Nice. Merritt Buttrick, like Merritt Buttrick. And they had Starlog Magazine involved, which any of your guys are listening, go back before the internet. I remember uh, Starlog. It used to be, yeah, it used to be the big magazine. They had full page. That's what got my attention was 
full-page ads in Starlog, and Carol Quinn, who was a longtime editor-publisher, sure. can do the master so much. So there was a regular Houston Con convention going on in the dealer's room, and mass parade panels, and lit guests, and artists, and all that art show. And this was set up, the, the kicker was, that this mega show, kind of rock show, was actually going to be in the arena where the uh, Houston Rockets played NBA basketball, and where they had rock shows, and you know, Mm-hmm. touring uh, musicals and things at the Summit Arena. So you went to the con and you had a separate Ticketron ticket to go over to to the show. And they had three shows, 18,000 seats apiece in this arena. And that was the plan. And three months out, they were told that it was a sellout. People tried for weeks leading up to it to get tickets. Wow. And everybody came in on Friday, the actors from L.A., mm-hmm. the fans, the, you know, the, the local guys who were racing around trying to make this go, all of whom had like audiovisual and production and tech backgrounds. They weren't a bunch of dweebs. They had this handle. And uh, the dealers. And suffice it to say, things did not quite go as they had intended. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it in a nutshell. And then, and I just wonder, I was, it was my first road trip as a kid. I took some pictures and went on a couple of years ago. I ran into a guy who was the tech director there and it just rekindled all these memories. And, you know, if you know my background, I'm a word guy from yep. news, news, blah, And I've, but I've been around media. I have a, one of my degrees is in theater and I've directed and produced plays and I have done some acting and gotten back into that lately. And I wanted to do something in media. I live in LA now and it's, you know, it's media town. You don't just interview people, you get them on camera. Right. And this like huge light bulb went off in my head the first time I, I was like, this is something I can do. This will be my first thing to do because I knew Harv and Walter and George and Michelle and those, those guys would probably talk to me and they have. When I found out that all the original core people in Houston were still there pretty much. Wow. I went, oh my God, this is very producible. So it's been a, it's been a real kick. Wednesdays was a day of fringe on the cool series of that name. This included a tribute to Lance Reddick. Here is part of the tribute with a conversation from 2012. As far as Broyles this year, you had a chance to to play like an older version of Broyles. Oh, yes, I did. What was that like for you? Wow, uh, it was interesting, um, mainly because of the makeup. Yeah. Because <laughs> it took about three hours to get in, into, and, um, and I already get out of. Yeah, I bet, I bet. And did you, mentally, did you approach him any differently? Well, only in that he's, I don't want to say he's sold out, but it's kind of like um, a Vichy France. Yeah. So, you know, he's still trying to do his, he's still trying to do his job and take care of basically humanity as best he can. Hmm. And uh, being an occupied, yeah, basically being occupied. Hmm. Well, yeah, definitely, definitely. Tired, you know, and it's, it's, it's not just his age, mm-hmm. it's what he's gone through and what he's had to, yeah, a lot to endure, especially with the observers in their in their new role in the future. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of the future, that seems to be the theme, at least to start the season, is to kind of go back and and kind of start the storyline that was started towards the end of last year. Uh, as far as I know, I mean, I haven't read. Uh, I'm not in the first script, and I haven't read it yet. But as far as I know, uh, that's what we're that's what we're, we're going to be heading. Mm-hmm. Have they given you any clues at all into the final episode at all? No, not at all. That should be interesting to see what they do, uh, especially yeah. ending the show. I, I know that John Noble has said that they're going to start in the in the future, and, uh, and it looks like everybody is coming back, and uh, you know, so that's good too. That everybody gets a chance to finish the story, so to speak. Yeah. When do you uh, start shooting? Uh, they, once again, I'm not sure because I'm not in the first episode. I, I actually am. I'm only going to be a handful of episodes this season. Oh, okay. So. 
uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm pretty sure they start the, right after Comic-Con. Oh, okay. So I think they start the week of uh, July 17th or 18th, whatever that is. Yeah. After Thursday's live Sci-Fi Talk Weekly, Friday featured the Return to Time Capsule episode 393. Here's a sample with two of the ladies from Star Trek Strange New Worlds. It's Pride Month, and at the recent roundtables for Star Trek Strange New Worlds, here are Celia Gooding, who is Ensign Notoya Uhura, and also Melissa Navaya, who is Lieutenant Erica Ortegas, and they both comment on how they've been accepted by the LGBTQIA plus community. I hope I got that right, and I don't certainly want to offend anybody. And so that's what they talk about, and we'll hear it right now. Throughout my career, uh, you know, the trans LGBT community, like they have been just such um, rock stars for me in terms of uh, people who like love what they see in me. They love what I bring to to, to the screen that I bring to characters. Um, the fact that like gender play is almost like inherently a part of me and always has been. And so whenever I'm cast in things, I think people somehow they see that. Um, and so uh, they have been, you know, absolutely my biggest fans and that continues through through this this uh this star trek fame that i now have um and yeah and i remember that that interview and i i, I still stand by it absolutely and i know people want to see more of ortegas in terms of her relationships and and what i what i would say to that is you know just hang on um hang on for sure but i love that so many people see themselves in Ortegas. And even if you are not exactly what Ortegas is, the beautiful thing about it is that you can see yourself in Ortegas in some respect. And and that I think is, is the most beautiful characters, right? Where people from all walks of life who have experienced all sorts of different stories can see pieces of themselves or all of themselves in you. Um, and I think uh, that goes again to the writing of Ortegas, but but it definitely uh, is something that is that is so important to me um, and seeing everyone's uh, reaction to her and wanting to see more of her and loving things about her that that are definitely like inherently Ortegas but also Melissa do you know um, uh, like my haircut you know like people are like oh that's fantastic and I'm like that was the, you know that was a creation that you know that the producers were like yeah this is awesome that I this is like you know her haircut is the haircut of my dreams um, and it, it says it speaks so much about to her character. Um, but yeah, and I love that we're like premiering during Pride Month. And also I feel like our poster, right? Isn't that very, very much, very right? much. This and I'm like, I don't know if that was on purpose, but I'm going to go ahead and say it was on purpose. So, so yeah, so I can't wait to see what, what fans and especially the trans LGBT community continue to see in Ortegas and hearing from them also inspires a lot of what we then bring to the, to the role. So thank you to them. And uh, yeah, Pride Month, let's, let's do it. I just want to say I have to Please. add because I love my community Please. so much. As a out queer person, as someone whose relationship with their gender is ever evolving and ever changing, it is so exciting to be a part of this, especially playing a role uh, uh, that has been originated by cis women and has historically only been played by cis women. For me, as someone who doesn't necessarily identify that way, it is really exciting to be a part of and it really is humbling to be trusted with something that is so precious that is uhura's story um and to the trans and non-binary queer community uh know that there is an entire cast of people who want to do right by y'all and want to represent y'all in a way that that is 
human and true and and beautiful and lovely and to have your support means the moon and beyond to all of us but especially to me because i am someone who has learned the most about myself from queer people and i as someone who is myself every day and has to show up as myself to play this character even though this character is very different from me and how she identifies and who whoever she decides to be and become um it 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 just means a lot to me to to, to be a part of this and and to be just a small piece of of an incredibly delicious franchise pie and and have my little queer stamp on it and say a queer person was here and 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 reply and reprised a role and and made sure that everyone knew that this person is here and is proud to be a part of this community and has a role to play in Trek and not only any role, a role like Uhura, uh, 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 that I just had to say that. That is this week on Sci-Fi Talk looking back on the week's podcasts. Subscribe to Sci-Fi Talk at Apple Podcasts and on the Podbean app. Thanks for listening.